We are Anthem Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. For all the info you need, visit anthemforall.org and follow at Anthem Church Chicago. If you've lived in Chicago for at least a month, I'm sure you've heard about uh, Mark Job. Mark Job is an incredible app as well, D. It's wonderful to have you with us this morning. We arrived in Chicago um, as a as a naive South African, I started reaching out to many churches, and the first questions that people asked were, um, where did you get your seminary degree? And unfortunately, I don't have a seminary degree. And uh, how big is, was your, or is your church? And at the time, it was Chris Q and myself and Mike Nelson and my wife and two kids. So it didn't get too much traction, unfortunately. But Mark Job and New Life and a friend of ours, Kevin Bursma, were the only church at the, at, in the early days to open their arms to us and to receive us warmly and to stand alongside us and to speak life and to speak destiny and to speak their conviction that, that we had heard God correctly. And uh, I want to honor Mark for the investments that you've made into this church by simply just warmly welcoming us and receiving us. Mark and his... Uh, Mark, has, Mark and his, uh, his team have been planting churches in Chicago. I think they're up to 24 or so locations around the city. Uh, are beginning to plant internationally. Um, it, it has raised an incredible family. And if that all wasn't enough, um, he took on the, the position of president at Moody Bible Institute. Um, he explained to me that he's actually probably, and I think it's the first I've ever heard of, the first volunteer senior pastor of a church. Um, and so he's, he's found, has found the grace and the anointing in God to, 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 to do both, and not just to do both, but to do both well and to do both with excellence. And, uh, and I know that we're in for an incredible treat this morning. So before I hand over to Mark, I'd love for us just to stretch out our hands and let's pray for him as we, as we open our hearts to receive from the Lord this morning. Father, we thank you for, uh, for Mark, for Dee. We thank you, Lord God, for the apostolic call and anointing and grace that rests upon this this incredible man, this couple, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your amazing faithfulness over them and over new life and over the leaders that they have raised up and, and released. We thank you, Father, for the internet, just the tip of the iceberg. We thank you, Lord God, that they, uh, just the, 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 the sense I get, Lord, is that verse in Psalm 16 where, where um, the, the, there are spacious places that you are making available to Mark and to and, and to the New Life family, Lord God. Even more, we pray, Lord God, would you, would you um, increase their impact, Lord God? Would you increase the kingdom impact that they are having? And, and this morning, Lord, we, we ask for your anointing. Holy Spirit, would you touch Mark? Would you rest upon him? Would you equip his every word, Lord God, and, and empower his every word that, that would, it would make an impact in our hearts this morning? as we sit to receive and as we uh, leave this place to put into action the things that he is gonna share with us. Um, Jesus, our heart's desire is you be honored and glorified in everything we do. And so we pray above all else that you would be honored. Um, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Steve. I actually knew Steve before he had the John the Baptist beard, I mean the hipster beard. Um, <laughs> And before this was named Anthem. But, you know, here's, here's what struck me the first time I met Steve. I felt a kindred spirit, uh, a family that's willing to take a risk, move across the world by the promptings and the leading of the Holy Spirit. I sensed a kingdom 
mentality from day one, a multiplication, disciple-making mentality. And immediately I thought, yeah, that's our tribe. So it's a pleasure to be here uh, with you this Sunday morning. By the way, I want to say it's actually easier to get me not on a Sunday than it is to get my wife because she carries a massive responsibility on Sunday, 120 volunteers. So I'm easy to get. She's really hard to get. And uh, I just want to just acknowledge my wife that's uh, here. She doesn't speak, doesn't stand, doesn't dance. No, she's... uh... You know, I was thinking about this morning, I was thinking about uh, where you're at, that what deposit do you want me to deposit at Anthem that um, is from you, Lord. Uh, They've had uh, good encouraging words. They've had teachings. But Lord, lead me to a passage that would be the right word for the right time, for the right moment. And I think I have that passage. And so I'd like for you to take your Bibles and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 uh, Samuel chapter 6. I've actually entitled this message, Don't Lose It in the Move. You know, we've all had to move one time or another. And moving can be difficult, challenging. It's really a headache, isn't it, when you have to move? And not too long ago, I was... Uh, driving behind uh, a car, uh, a little pickup truck, and they were moving somewhere, I don't know, but it was one of these pickup trucks that had just piled as high as they could, put ropes around it, and you don't want to drive behind them because you think anytime now a couch is going to fall on me. And sure enough, something blew out, a table or something fell, and they had to pull to the side, and they had to back up, and it almost hit me, and I'm like, wow, they almost lost it in the move. Have you ever moved somewhere, and you're like, hey, where did we put, and six months later, you find it, because you just can't figure out where it's at in all the boxes. We as a church, New Life, we moved, I counted 14 times before we got our building, 14 times. Uh, We were the church on the move. Uh, You know, there's some advantages of moving, though, because every time we moved, if we wanted to get rid of people, we just wouldn't tell those people we wanted to get rid of where we were moving. And so we lost a couple of people. We didn't want to find us. Um, and, uh, but, but you point in their history, a chapter, this is a, but it's more than just a building. It's a new chapter. It's a new name. It's a new season. And I sense that it's not just a relocation. It's bigger than that. And if you're not careful, you can lose something in the move. And if you are careful and follow the leading of the Spirit of God, you may gain something before you actually step into the place that God has for you. Transitions are very, they're tricky. I've been through a lot. If you're in a job transition, it's during those times of transition that the biggest mistakes are made and sometimes the biggest opportunities are gained. It's in times of transition, key moments, And I believe that every church, every group of people has to be attentive to the Spirit of God, has to be sensitive to what God is doing so that they don't lose it in the move and they gain what God has for them, 
for such a time as this. 2 Samuel chapter 6 really is about a move. It's about David that was about to move into a more permanent location. And you know the story of David, a man after God's own heart. It took him a long time to get to power. He was under the anointing of a leader that had gone wrong, appointed by God, but that hadn't stepped up into his call. And so Saul, because of his insecurity, spent years throwing spears at David. And David refused to grab power, manipulate power, cause a revolt. He felt like God will raise me up at the right time, at the right season. I want it to be God, not me. And when God raised him up to power, it finally came the moment where David was about to move into his more permanent. It was a big deal. He had waited years for this. There had been years and years of anticipation from a little shepherd boy and the call of God on his life. He recalled the time when God had anointed him by Samuel, put oil on his head and said, you will be the next king of Israel. But yet he spent a long time, a long time still as a shepherd. Do you know that you can have a call, an anointing, and yet still remain in the same place that you feel like this is a waste of my call and my anointing because God is transforming, building, molding your character, preparing you for your call. He had the anointing of a king, yet he's taking care of sheep. That happens to us, and so many of us get very, very, very impatient with the call and anointing that God may have upon our lives, but yet we feel like it's being wasted in what we're doing. If God is shaping your character, it's never being wasted. Even the anointing that God may have upon this church, you may look at some of the seasons you've been through and say, wow, why are we going through that season? But you see, never despise the lessons you're learning during the tough times, the difficult journey, the moves, the... Are you with us out of this extraordinary, beautiful building we're in? Are you with us out of mission and vision? Will will we lose a couple of people because it's hot on Sunday morning, or are we really committed beyond that? I bet you there's been some hot days in this place. There's been some sweat. Steve doesn't doesn't strike me as a sort of high-powered handkerchief preacher, but I bet he's had to pull it out occasionally there. So I want, to talk to you about, I want to talk to you briefly about five things that I think you need to remember as you head into this move. And if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. Number one, jot this down. Don't lose it in the move. Number one, the presence of God does not move. Samuel chapter six, verse one. He and all his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name the name the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. So David is moving to a more permanent residence, but David is smart enough to know, I don't want to go there without the presence of God. If I go to a city, but God is not there, all I have is a city, but I don't have the city with God's presence. David, the worshiper, the psalmist, the man after God's own heart, the 
unemployed musician. I mean, he's taking care of sheep, but he's really at heart, he's an extraordinary musician. But he's endeared himself to the heart of God. He knows that the presence of God is more important than anything else in his life. And so he says, I want to bring the presence of God, the most powerful thing on earth, I want to bring it to the heart of my city. And in those days, the symbol of the presence of God, the the, the seat, the symbolic symbol of the manifest presence of God was contained in a little three and a half by two and a half foot box called the Ark of the Covenant. It wasn't a magical box, but it was, it was the box that would symbolize the presence of God. It would be placed in the Holy of Holies. It was eventually put behind the curtain and no one could see it except once a year you had to be a high priest. And it symbolized the essence of the presence of God. And David understood that. And so David gathered 30,000 men together and said, we are going to take the presence of God into the city because we know how important it is. Now, for 20, 70 years before, really, the mention of it, if you remember, the Philistines got a hold of the ark, and it was so powerful that they returned it. Like, get rid of this thing. It's too powerful for us to handle. And it landed in the house of a priest by the name of Abinadab. And two of his sons, Uzzah and Ahio, were the ones that were in charge of watching over the ark. So it was Abinadab who was in charge of transporting the ark to Jerusalem. And this was about a 20-mile trek that they had to do from where the ark was in the house of Abinadab to Jerusalem. David wanted to make sure that when he moved in, he traveled with the ark, with the presence of God. But I want you to notice what, what happens in verse 3. Listen, it says, they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it to the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill. Uzzah and Ahio, who were the sons of Abinadab, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. David and all of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with uh, castanets, harps, lyres, trimbles, sistrums, and cymbals. So this is a big party, 30,000 people. They're chanting, celebrating, dancing around, carrying the ark, but there was a problem. People didn't notice the problem in all the celebration of the move. They're rejoicing, shouting, dancing, cheering. Yeah, we've prayed for this day. It's so exciting. But there was a mega problem. The way they were trying to transport the presence of God was a problem. You see, it made sense in the natural that they would take a cart like the Philistines, like the world, like pagan society. It was business. It was on a hill. It was easier to do. But there was a problem with it. It wasn't God's way. You see, God had already declared how you should carry the presence. And the presence doesn't go on a cart built by man. The presence goes on the shoulders of praising priests. And it 
It doesn't seem like a big issue, but I'm gonna tell you something. This is really important for you to understand. We can have, we can be savvy when it comes to stewardship, technology, business sense, organization, marketing, all that needs to be stuff that we're savvy, that we understand, that we, but listen, the presence of God does not travel on that. Churches that endure are not built on that. At the heart of a church that endures and makes a difference is the manifest presence of God that brings salvation, that brings healing, that brings transformation, that brings conviction, that transforms people's heart from the inside out. It is carried on the shoulders of people that have been broken and are praising God, are doing it God's way. The second thing that I see here is not only that the presence does not move on human terms, but you need to remember that it cannot be controlled or manipulated by the hand of man. So this big party's going on, they're celebrating, they're cheering, they're dancing, 30,000 men. I mean, this is a ruckus, real, real, like, you know, this is pump your chest, shout, scream, soldier-like celebration, carrying the ark. The noise is loud. People can barely tell. I mean, 30,000 people is a lot of people. The United Center seats, what, 20-some thousand. So the United Center at capacity. So not everybody can see it. It's loud. There's no. And it says in verse 6, And when they came to the threshold of Nikon, Uzzah, Uzzah, reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. There's noise, there's celebration. Ahio's on one side, Uzzah's on the other side. They're cheering. This looks like a massive win for them. And suddenly, very, very much like Chicago, they had potholes. <laughs> Chicago after winter. You can lose your car in one of those potholes. Well, there must have been a pothole in, in, in the road that was there, and so the cart started to stumble, and Uzzah, who felt like, hey, I'm the guardian of the presence of God, did something that seems normal, but yet very contrary to how God works. He reached out his hand, and he touched the ark to steady it. Now, I want you to notice what happened. And the Bible says, because the oxen stumbled, the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. If you've ever been in a parade and something happens, it takes a while for the people at the front of the parade to know what happened in the back of the parade. And so this, this, this priest, the son of Abinadab, he raises up his hand and he, touch, he, touches that, he touches that which is holy. He touches the untouchable. He touches that which he has no right touching. Now he had been trained, educated. He had been raised in the household of, of Abinadab. He knew that he wasn't supposed to touch it. It wasn't like, oh, I didn't know. No, he had been trained in the Levitical priesthood not to touch it with human hand because you... 
The Bible says he reached up, he touched it, and suddenly, I don't know how it happened, you know, started frothing at the mouth, shaking around a little bit. He dropped dead. People are still uh, celebrating in advance. The noise is still going. People behind him stop. They watch. The, cro the crowd gets quiet. People are saying, shh, to the front. It takes a while for it to happen, but suddenly this entire celebration comes to a screeching halt as people around Uzzah the priest and the ark watch him and his dead body. King David makes his way through the crowd. He sees what's happening. I want you to see what happens. Listen. Uzzah was a Kohathite, a clan of the tribe of Le Levi, which had been consecrated by God to handle the logistics of moving the tabernacle. That was his background. The furnishings, the tent, as they traveled, they, they were trained in that. The book of Numbers clearly warns that they were not to touch the objects or they will die. Only the Levitical priests were allowed to carry the most holy objects. The Kohathites were not allowed to even look at it or look into it. By the way, Uzzah, if you trace the etymology of that word, it means strength. And Ahil means friendly. It's interesting that the two people beside the ark were strength and friendly, which most churches pride themselves in. Who are you? Oh, we're the friendliest church around. I've never seen a church that describes itself in their promotion as unfriendly. Come to us and we're the corner. We're the most unfriendly people you could ever meet. Never seen a church that describes itself as weak. Usually we're strong. We have this ministry and those ministries. We're friendly. We're making a difference. Come to us because we're it. The two priests on the side of the holy felt that they had the power to touch the holy but actually help the presence of God. And God says, no, you don't touch that which is holy. Can I say something? As, as you move forward, as you, as you move, as you go forward, as you move into a new place, the most powerful thing that you have is not the power of your community, the friendliness of your community, the acceptance that you have, diversity, whatever you say, this is our strength. That's really not the most powerful thing you have. Neither, the, neither is it the strength of your leadership or the strength of the people or the talent that may be, he, may be there. Those can help you out, but that is not what makes this a church that's compelling, life-changing, making a difference in the kingdom of God. That's not what changes people's lives ultimately to the core. That's not what saves people. That's not what breaks the chains. That's not what opens the door. That's not what hell trembles at. What hell trembles at is a church that understands the holiness of God and values the holiness of God and where the presence of God is manifest in that place and where people show up and they sense God is in this place through broken people and some, some boast in chariots and some boast in horses. We, we will boast in the strength of the Lord our God. The power of the presence of God in this place is your strength. Never forget it. You can build a church on marketing skills. You can advertise. You can buy musicians. 
You can design environments. You can hire staff. But the end result is just that. Strength and friendliness and a nice place for people to hang out. But true transformation does not happen with marketing skills. True transformation of God are driven to their knees because of his knees and powerful holiness that understand and worship sincerely are on their knees and surrender before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The power of the church lies at the center. At the center of the power of the church lies the holiness of God and the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Never, never forget that. The Bible says, I, I love what R.C. Sproul says, Uzzah assumed that his hand was less polluted than the earth, but it wasn't the ground that would desecrate the ark. It was the touch of man. You know, I'll never forget when I first started pastoring, I was 21 years old, and I really didn't like the city. I came from a little town in northern Spain with 200 people called Rubena. My phone number was eight. Seriously, <laughs> that was my phone number. And I came to the city of Chicago and I was actually studying at Moody and people would talk about the city and their burden for the city and I was like, I want out of the city as soon as I can. But through a series of circumstances, I found myself at the age of 21, actually, in back of the yards neighborhood. If you're familiar with Chicago, it's the south side of Chicago. If you're not from Chicago, you never go there because there's nothing to see. And you roll up your windows and you drive through it real fast. But it was a tough community. There was gangbangers on the steps and uh, the church was really poor, really small. There was 18 people. I just married my wife, by the way. I, I, when I started at 21, I wasn't married, but I'd ask her to marry me. And um, my whopping salary when I started was $8,000. But I'm making $8,000. <laughs> and I said, so I, I want to be the provider. So I don't want ever you feel like you have to work, but you have to be willing to live where my 8000 can provide. It's pretty much sort of ghetto, lower than ghetto. She said, I, I think God's calling me to work. So she, <laughs> she worked. But you know, I, I remember walking, feeling absolutely overwhelmed by the needs of the city and like, what are we gonna do? And you know, you know, I was the worship band. And if you've ever heard me sing or play a guitar, you know how desperate we really were. Um, and um, I remember walking early days, just taking a prayer walk, and I, would, I saw the city, and I saw the needs, and I saw how poor we were and how small we were, and we were under 20 people, and I was just discouraged. And it was on the corner of 43rd and Rockwell, I remember the space, the spot, where I was, have, do you ever complain to God? Do you ever just kind of moan to God? Am I the only one that does it? Are you moaners sometimes? Like, ah, God, I don't know why you call me, and this and that. And we call it prayer, but it's really a moan session. Um, you just say, I spent a half hour in prayer. No, you didn't. You spent a half hour complaining, moaning. 
I was like, we don't have people. I wish we had this. I wish we had more people. I wish we had more resources. I just had some leaders that were committed and would stay. No one's faithful. No one's committed. Everybody leaves. It's too hard for everybody. We're never going to make a difference. And I was just moaning. I felt like God just stopped me in my tracks. I'll never forget this. And I sense that the Holy Spirit, not an audible voice, but if you have walked with God for some times, there's the gentle whisper of the Spirit that speaks to your spirit and you sense God is saying something. I felt like God stopped me and reminded me, listen, I've asked you to be faithful in the little, faithful in the little, and I will bring about the increase, but when the glory comes, do not touch it. I felt a sense of holy sobriety, don't touch the glory. God can do a lot, but he's jealous about his glory. He's jealous about it. Fast forward a bunch of years and we're gathering at this big auditorium and for a 25th year anniversary, there's thousands of people, busloads coming in, coming from all over. People are just high-fiving, celebrating everything that's, that's happening and like, whoa, we're really cranking here. And I get up that morning knowing that this is going to happen. We plan this big shindig, this big celebration. My son comes in my room and he says, hey, dad, dad, I feel this really, really sense. Dad, make sure you don't touch any of the glory when we come together. Like it was a reminder of the Spirit of God. Like, hey, 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 I got to use your son. I'm, I'm reminding you. I'm reminding you. I'm telling you. We got together. There was a huge auditorium. We were celebrating what God has done. I felt like the first thing I need to do is get on my knees. Get on my knees. I'm just reminded, this is God can use a donkey. He can use anything. He can use anybody that breathes. Remember, do not all honor and glory goes to King Jesus. For two years after that, every night I got on my, uh, by, by my bed and I would just pray a simple prayer. Lord, heaven rules and I don't. You deserve all the glory. I just want to say that clearly to you because I don't want to be a Nebuchadnezzar. The presence doesn't move on human terms. It cannot be controlled or manipulated by man. Don't touch away from the favor of his presence. So David, who's leading the procession, it says, was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. Verse 9, David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. I want you to notice what happened to David. He was angry, he was afraid, and he was proud. God, you worked in a way that I didn't think you were going to work. God, why did you do it that way? So he became angry. He became afraid. And he was proud. 
Anger, fear, and pride. Wow. And let me tell you, I'm speaking to someone here. Listen, it was his anger, his fear, and his pride that caused him to not want to travel with the presence of God anymore. And so instead of traveling with the presence of God, he put a halt on it and he said, I don't want it anymore. I'm going to park the ark at whose house is available? Oh, Obed, you got room? Let's put it in your house. Now imagine, someone just died. Obed has a family, he's got wife, he's got kids. Can you imagine that? Yeah, just put it in the extra bedroom. <laughs> kids, let me warn you. And so they put it in the house of Obed, and he stops the moving with the presence of God. In fact, listen, it's his anger, his, his fear, and his pride that keeps him away from the presence of God. The very thing that's at the core of what could make him, what, what could make Jerusalem the holy city, suddenly he pulls away from it. He pushes back from it. He's afraid of it. It's too on his watch. Listen, anger, fear, and pride pull you away from the presence of God. They make you stop. They make you set the presence of God at a clear distance because when the presence of God invades your heart, it messes with you. It humbles you. It brings you to your knees. It causes you to worship in ways that people maybe, uh, you lose a little dignity in it. It makes you it makes you go down. No one worships fully with their full dignity. When you worship fully, you fall on your face. People don't like to fall on their face. They don't like to get on their knees. They don't like to be humbled before Almighty God. But you know what? The presence of God causes us to lose our dignity in the face of someone who deserves all the dignity. And so he just parks it at Obed-Edom's house. I'm just wondering if you pulled back from the presence of God because of fear. You know how many people I talk to that say, I don't really, really want to press too close into God because I think he's going to make me break up with my boyfriend. I really like him. I know it's not quite the guy. It caused me to really get serious about purity. I don't want to press in too close reroute my career, move me, make me serve in the nursery. <laughs> make me forgive my husband and I want to keep him in debtor's prison. I don't want to forgive him. Make me serve my wife and my kids and ask forgiveness for the jerk that I've been and the attitude that I've had. And maybe if I get into the presence of God, I'm gonna have to wash my, my wife's feet and ask forgiveness for how I have not led her the way that God's really asked me. I don't wanna go there. It's humiliating. So a comfortable distance, a pocket size, not a God that's a God that's like a rabbit's foot. I can go, he's there, I can call out, but not a God that's super close, not a God that's big, awesome, high and lifted up, not the God of Isaiah, the six, just a, 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 a small God, a convenient God, a pocket size God, a God, I need a promotion. <laughs> Anger, fear, and pride will keep you from the awesome, the real, 
The God that never had a beginning and will never have an end. The God that's sovereign, that has all power over all things. The God that's omniscient and knows all things. The God that's omnipresent. There's nowhere that's, uh, that you can hide from him. The God that is immutable, that never changes. How could he change if he's been perfect from the beginning? He doesn't evolve into a better being. He's always existed as the self-sufficient, immutable, self-contained, perfect God of the universe. I'm talking about that kind of God. Not your pocket-sized, convenient, custom-made God made in our image. That, the kind of God I'm talking about, that's a scary God. So he puts him in the house of Obed and Edom. Number four. Help me out with time. Where am, where am I at with time? Okay. I, I know they say keep going, but they're like, yeah, don't go too long. Okay, number four, favor flows to the place where the presence of God is welcome. Listen, so here's an interesting thing that happens. The verse 11 says, and the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now, King David was told, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and everything that he has because of the ark. His wife was happier. The pasture was greener around him. Something. It blessed him. The presence of God was there. And he treated the presence of God with respect. And the favor of God flowed upon the house of Obed-Edom. And David, who was afraid of the presence of God, starts looking at someone who's walking in the power of the presence of God and saying, hold on a second. I want that. There's something powerful about the presence of God. It's scary, it's powerful, it's holy. But there's something about being around the presence of God where all the goodness of God flows out of that. And Obed-Edom had the Ark of the Covenant in his house and everything he did seemed to prosper and everybody noticed it. So David finally says, hey, I've been keeping the presence of God at a distance, but I need it, I want it, I need to have it. I have to repent of my anger, my pride, my fear, because I want the presence of God. Number five and lastly, the presence of God travels best in the shoulders of broken, praising people. Look what it says in verse 13. And when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord, so finally David says, let's get him back, let's get this back going. We lost it in the move, but we're going to regain it the right way. And he said, when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, they sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing the linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and Israel were bringing the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets on the shoulders of appraising priests that were now carrying the ark of the Lord the right way. Think about it. Before they were doing it with their technology, their strength, their victory, they were kind of saying, hey, look at us. It was slower, but it was God's way. And every six paces, they would stop and sacrifice a calf. Man, that's a slow procession. 
You thought Chicago traffic was slow. I mean, this is like really slow. Every six pace, they stopped, but you know what? They were doing it with dignity, carrying the presence of God, and David danced before the Lord in full, unabashed, unhindered praise and worship to God, and that's a whole other message, how his wife looks down and says, you're undignified because the worship of God will make you sometimes undignified, and David said, I will become even more undignified than this. You cannot keep your dignity in the presence of Almighty God. We lose our dignity, but we gain his presence and his power. And it's in the heart of his presence and his power that his, his purposes are accomplished. And so I close with this. Listen, listen, church. You're in the midst of a move, a new chapter. It's a new chapter. It's a move. There are, le- there are lessons you've learned over these last 15 years, Steve, you can't forget them because you learned it through the hard the breaking times. Never forget those lessons. You're entering into a new chapter and there's a new season and people will come and people that haven't been a part of what you're doing, they'll come and celebrate with you and that's good. But never forget that in the move, don't lose, don't lose your most powerful, most compelling thing. It's not friendliness and strength. It's the presence of God. The presence of God is saturated with the gospel of Jesus. The presence of God brings us to our need. The presence of God is not proud. The presence of God, the presence of God that deliverance happens. It's in the presence of God that chains are broken. It's in the presence of God, the powerful presence of God. Don't lose it in the move. I'm gonna ask that you stand with me. Would you do that? And I don't know if the uh, worship band can um, uh, join me for a second here as we wrap things up, but I, here's how I'd like to close our, our time together. Listen, if you're, if you're part of this church, if you are, are moving into this new chapter, if you're moving into this cha- new chapter, don't be a Yusa or a Ahio. Don't be a David that keeps a safe distance from the power that can transform you through the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that comes and breaks things down. Anger, fear, and pride will keep you at a safe distance from the presence of God. And I'm just wondering if God is speaking to some, some here today saying, you know, You've kept me at a safe distance because of your fear, how I'm going to mess with your life, your relationships, your security blankets, things you don't want to let go of, attitudes you don't want to release, people you don't want to forgive, purity you don't want to engage in. Fear. Anger. God, you haven't worked the way I thought you were going to work. I thought I'd be married and have one 
1.2 kids by now. I don't even have a process. I don't want to show my weakness. I don't want to humble myself before you. I don't want to acknowledge my need. I don't want to confess my issues. Some of you have been living with the ark in Obed's house. It's comfortable. Can I tell you something? It's not life-changing, though. You can visit Obed's house, but God wants more than that. He's to be in your house. So as we just sing this song, if you sense that you need to deal with something, you're saying, God, in the move, I don't want to lose your presence. I'm, I'm done with putting you in Obed's house. God, my, my fear, my anger, my pride, I just say, Spirit of God, invade it and do what you have to do. I'm not going to keep you at a safe distance. I'm going to invite you right in the midst of what, who I am and what I'm doing. God, prepare me for this move, Lord Jesus. Prepare me for this move, Lord Jesus. Prepare us as a church, God. Thanks again for listening. To stay up to date, follow at Anthem Church Chicago and visit us, anthemforall.org. Anthem Church, all of Jesus for everyone.